welcome to the Am I Crazy podcast, the podcast about being young and unstable and our particular brands of dysfunction. I am L. I'm E. And I'm D. And uh, we're joining you for a conversation today about coping mechanisms and how we deal with our mental illnesses and the overwhelming world. Um, we want to let you guys know that you can get in touch at amicrazypodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email or if you want to follow on us, us on Instagram, please do at, at amicrazypod. And um, we have a couple of reviews to read for you guys today. You guys have been so kind to let us know what you think about the podcast. Um, so here we go, E. Yeah, I just wanted to read this um, this one review that we have on iTunes. Since our podcasts are on iTunes now, we'd love for you guys to give us a rate and a review. But um, someone with a username that is Fujihara. Um, it says, Am I Crazy is an amazing podcast for anyone. As a youngest graduated college person, this podcast has helped me so much with my emotional struggles during this time. Thank you guys for making this. Um, that's the first time I've ever read anything official about me and my work, and it made me feel super good. And we're also getting messages on the Instagram, and um, we love hearing your guys' uh, like thoughts about what we're writing and knowing that um, how we feel really shitty is making you guys feel not as shitty and <laughs> helps me feel not as shitty. I love that, and um, that's why I love doing this podcast. Um, so someone on Instagram DM'd us and said, Hi guys, I just gave your podcast listen this afternoon, and I wanted to express how much I loved it. I'm a senior at Michigan State getting ready to graduate, and a lot of what you talked about resonated with me very deeply, especially to talk about mental illness. Um, I'm excited to listen to more of your future episodes. Thanks for creating such great content. Um, and that meant a lot to me because, I mean, we don't know who this person is at all, and they're all the way in Michigan. Um, so if you are listening and you know that you sent us this dm thank you yeah thank you guys so much for listening um we're like doing a little bit of a longer intro because uh when l asked us to do this podcast just like sort of random uh she was like you guys want to do a podcast and we immediately jumped into it i never thought that people would actually listen mm-hmm. let alone listen enough to come back and listen to more episodes and like listen enough to send positive thoughts and to tell me that the stuff i'm saying is um, personally affecting them uh I'm super, super thankful and that this podcast is like a really cathartic outlet for me and knowing that other people feel like I do is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just I, same thing. Like I never thought this many people would listen and it's not only the far reaching aspect of like talking to people, I guess, in like Nebraska and Michigan and wherever else um, you guys might be listening from, but like even like close friends that I have are listening to it and like mm-hmm. relating to it and people that I went to high school with and I haven't talked to in a couple of years and other people that we went to university with. And um, yeah, it's just been a really cool cathartic experience for us three and um, hopefully for you guys as well. And um, or, I mean, we're continuing on with the podcast, obviously. It sounds like we're saying <laughs> yeah. like goodbye. But yeah, if you guys ever want to reach out to us or having a problem or have a topic that you want us to discuss, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email or anything like that. Yeah. One last thing. Um, there's We should probably do a little bit of a content warning on yeah. this episode. Uh, we talk about the um, deaths of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain briefly on the podcast, and there is a brief mention of suicidal ideation. All right. Well, thank you so much for staying with us, and keep listening. I think like I have a lot to say about this topic just because I feel like I've been really affected by the news cycle this week and like I want to work in media I studied media in college and like um, I am super plugged in constantly I like as a joke my Instagram bio is that I never log off but it's true I literally never log off I'm like um, always reading news and like my problem is that um, I'm constantly consuming um, horrible news about people in the United States and abroad. And, like, this, like, not, like, poverty porn, because that's something else, but, like, a constant influx of reading about um, violence against other humans and uh, violence against women and uh, suicide death. Um, side note, um, I think it's horrible that the New York Times reported on the way that Kate Spade committed suicide. 
Um, literally, in like practices of journalism, you are not supposed to report on how that person committed suicide because it can lead other people to do that, to want to do that, to figure out how to do it that way. But like, I feel like to cope with that sort of stuff, like I seriously have to throw my phone across the room and delete every app off my phone because like sometimes when I read about something bad, it means I want to read every single thing on the internet about that bad thing. And like, I have problems with intrusive thoughts. And so like, if I read all that, you know, terrible shit about something, like sometimes it'll just hit me at like the complete opposite point. I'm not even going on a great like tangent right now. It's just like the news cycle, (laughs) I think is like horribly damaging. And like, it is. I wish we sort of talked I wish, in, I'm going to frame it as, like, in education for media because I, I just left that. Like, I just left college media and stuff. Is that, like, we don't do a lot of talk about um, journalists uh, or, you know, anyone in media or writing and constantly having to cover and or mm-hmm. read about, like, violence against other groups. Like, um, you know, I actually, I, you guys both know I went to that ACES copywriting conference in Chicago two months ago. And, like... One of the, one of the, like, uh, one of the little sessions I went to is called, like, Editing in Me Too, and, like, a huge emphasis, it was by the copy chiefs of Mike, and, like, a huge emphasis was, like, on making sure that, like, if, like, something comes in that you need to edit or write or something, and that um, is paying attention to, like, how many times that person has already had to read that type of story today, or, like, if you can tell that your coworker is, like, visibly unnerved or exhausted by, you know, you know, you, if you have a coworker that you maybe you personally know was assaulted at one point, it might not be the best idea to give them a story having to read about someone else getting assaulted. Um, yeah, and even on the aspect of the Me Too, like it, there came a point to me just, you know, a few weeks after everything hit a peak where I just could not anymore. Yeah, can't. Like, re- I, I just, just can't read it anymore. If some such and such person. Uh, and then sexual assault are in the same headline, I just don't click on it because there is just, it's just so disturbing. And, you know, there's a debate, even when we do that, like, you know, it's the real world. Why shouldn't we click on it? Why shouldn't we read it? Why shouldn't we be aware of what's happening in the real world? But there's, I think there's only so much that we can take, you know, Um, even as journalists. And the suicide thing um, that happened this week, it was just, it was just so horrible, you know, as someone who's had suicidal thoughts before, but also just the Anthony Bourdain, you know, watching him religiously week after week, him being someone that actually my boyfriend looked up to immensely and was just there one week and then gone the next week. We had just watched the Hong Kong episode and and then that happened and it just, there's, there's a tension between you being in the real world and, and taking it as a responsibility to know what's happening and to be aware of what's going on so that you you become a better human, but then also for your own sake, not being able to take much more. Um, and I think that that line is really difficult to find. And I think that in our day and age of information, we feel extremely guilty about not knowing every single thing that's happening mm-hmm. in every single place. Um, and that's just really hard to deal with. And you just need to cope somehow, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a sense of like elitism, I think, when it comes to knowing like, ex- like knowing exactly like what's going on in the world and like all the things you've read. Like when I had my internship last summer, I would just go home like mentally drained because all my entire job was like reading everything. Yeah. Like I had, I used TweetDeck, and so like I just had like seven columns of like newsreels essentially, just like feeding me information all day, and then I would write about it. And so like you you kind of like forget that your own world is going on because you're so consumed with following the worlds of so many other people um and like the world as a whole if that makes sense and so just like you get just mentally drained and exhausted and like i i I don't even like i don't even have a full-time job yet and like that's what i want to go into like i want to go into like media and writing and stuff and so i haven't found a coping mechanism for that yet because I I don't want to shut it off I like knowing things I like learning things um even though sometimes they may be horrible um I don't like the concept of sensationalizing horrible things but um I think it's important to get that information out there but I don't know I'm still trying to look for like a coping mechanism to like not totally turn my brain off but like 
soothe it a little bit after like doing that for an entire day yeah actually like um this is I've only started doing this recently like after school um I'm sure both of you since all of us are people who write and read uh, like a ton were super into fiction growing up I don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys were yeah I was like huge into fiction and when I got to college I essentially just completely gave it up I stopped reading and I haven't been reading for like years and like going somewhere where I'm like can't touch anything that's electronic like I like have like phone like laptop like locked in my room and I go downstairs to read that's actually I found to been like very refreshing even if I've been reading screens all day and I feel like I'm like exhausted from reading screens and then like reading a book especially like I personally happen to like um interesting because I like horror or like true crime books or thriller books is um generally what I like to read so use true crime as a coping mechanism honestly sometimes <laughs> like it, it that, that is interesting it, it 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 totally depends like I'll say maybe when I was like 19 I was obsessed with um listening to true crime podcasts and I really liked doing that I, I, I don't really listen to that as much anymore because I used to listen to some who some podcasts that were actually like too triggering for me where I was like I don't like to know that but like when I say that Sometimes I like to read, like, thrillers or, like, books where there's, like, crime involved. Like, to me, it, like, feels like I'm reading another world because I also like fantasy. So, like, for example, my all-time favorite book is Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. But, like, that book is super sad, um, yeah. scary, and, like, but it, it's, like, otherworldly because, you yeah. know, we don't have people that come back from the dead in real life. Um, yeah, fantasy. Yeah. So, does fantasy play a part in both of your lives? as far as coping mechanisms go probably for me because i love television and and when i say fantasy it could be you know you sitting you sitting on your bed and thinking about how the world would be better if such and such and such or but i mean obsessively you know like does it feature obsessively in your coping mechanisms in a sense kind of well i guess i didn't realize it until probably this moment just now so one of my coping mechanisms is for sure working out and like leaving like my phone and everything aside and I think that's because my brain gets to go to like these places. Lucky you, your coping mechanism is right? working out. Yeah, yeah, that's super Mine's lucky. drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I just like smoking copious amounts of weed is my number one, but I wasn't gonna say that. <laughs> well, now it's been said, so it's out there. Um, weed, you know, caresses me unlike any book could. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it like lets your brain go to other places. And then I've also am like obsessed the way I like turn off my brain, I guess now is like reading features from like the New York times magazine or, mm-hmm. um, the cut, which I oh, love oh, the yeah. cut. Super good. That like, has great shit on there. You've said this before on the podcast, but if you're hiring, hire all three of us, please. <laughs> yes, please. Um, cut. but I love reading features about other people's lives because I think it just kind of gives me a break from like your own life, my own, even though my life is not like extremely difficult compared to other people's but it's like a nice diversion I guess um and also it's nice to see certain parallels in people's lives that you never thought you could find a parallel with like I read an article about this couple who was married for a long time and it was about like the muscle memory of loss and it was like an old woman um talking about what it's like to lose her husband and like obviously I've never been in love with someone for 50 plus years and like lost um a significant other but I still found parallels within Mm -hmm. that article within my own life and for some reason it was like a really like just soothing comfort yeah and along with that I think a lot of literary fiction fits into that perspective where you're reading like it's so weird when I, I just went to LA and the book that I picked up was um the Incredible Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera, which is an extremely sad novel. It's about this guy who seriously, who serially sleeps with other women, and he's married to this woman. But um, it's just so philosophically deep and dense, and there are so many parallels. So, so you wouldn't think that to escape, you would pick up a novel that's sad or that's mm-hmm. got relational difficulty in it. But but I found so much solace in this philosophical expo- exploration of just human existence. Um, I feel like reading someone else's pain like that or like mm-hmm. like a you know maybe not something that I know is truthful because reading those sort of first person accounts can be too much for me occasionally but like reading f- books of fiction where I feel the pain of the character sometimes help me helps me work through the pain of, of my own self mm-hmm. yeah um this is like you know we're talking about coping mechanisms pe- coping mechanisms that are like uh, I don't know how to say like 
literary, but like my most recent that I love doing is um, I've definitely become like one of those bitches who uh, watches like ASMR Instagram videos. Uh, people cutting soap, um, people mixing paint, people <laughs> like playing with slime, but like people who like like paint mixing videos, there's like Annette De La Zabetti or something is I think what her uh, Instagram handle is. She's like an older artist and she like makes little molds. She fills them with frozen paint and they're often like little I think I read an article once and she considers them like little pieces of performance art because she studies how the paint mixes together, makes the molds herself and like, but like when I watch that video, like, or those types of videos, like I always know what I'm going to get essentially. Like I like the sounds and like the sounds are relaxing and like I know that if I watch a video like that, I will see something pretty and like something that's like soothing to watch. And it's the same way I think a lot of people love tasty style cooking videos because when you watch that kind of video, you also like always know what you're going to get. There's like yeah. soothing music in the background. It's like someone's hands, you know, it's an impersonal because you can't see the person doing it. You see someone's hands moving in and out. Like all the movements are edited together so they're really calculated and you will always know at the end you're going to see a finished product of food. And so like... That's so interesting. Yeah. Like I feel like it's like so, especially, you know, I'm... I don't log off enough, but those sort of videos I watch, which I showed some on my Instagram Explorer page, because they were like, I can't, you know, we talk, we've talked on the pod about how Instagram is damaging, um, so is Twitter, I think Twitter is a hellscape, even though I love it, yeah. but like, my Instagram Explorer page is like, people doing makeup videos, which I also love, because I think those are relaxing, it's like either people doing a sped up makeup with like, some weird EDM pop song in the background, mm-hmm. people cutting soap, people mixing slime or people mixing, mixing paint. slime. Yeah, that's like literally so all it is. with that, um, let's talk about that for a sec because it seems to me that as you're talking, you're talking about a sensory experience that kind of encompasses a yeah. lot of your senses. Mm-hmm. So often when you're alone and you're listening to something, your mind can wander. Or if you're alone and you're watching a TV show, your mind can wander. Or, you know, but, but these little videos, it seems like they're short and they, they they're have, short and non-committal they have music they have there's no drama going on there's mm-hmm. no like emotional anything but it's taking your attention and you're into it and you want to see the finished product mm-hmm. um so that to me sounds like an escape from oneself rather than an escape from the world um i yeah. don't know if you'd agree with that but like let's talk about what what's the difference between escaping from your own head and then escaping from the horrible horrible cruel world that we live in I don't really know because I think it's like to me it sort of like bleeds into the two because um I know we haven't been talking that long but like we briefly talked about like Anthony Bourdain earlier and what I wanted to talk about is that like you know what I think is a bit heartwarming out of that is that that the like outpouring of people online who have like been like deeply affected by him as a person and like um you know he was a, a wonderful person, you know, a champion of immigrants and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a fierce defender of Palestine and, like, but, like, I vehemently despise when people constantly post the suicide hotline over and over and over and over again. Like, people posting the suicide hotline is, like, that's not how you're going <laughs> to... I don't want this to come off sounding, like, super callous and mean and, like, mean-spirited, but, like, posting the suicide hotline over and over again is is not going to stop someone from killing themselves, and, like, oftentimes not a lot of people have great experiences with the hotline. Like, I know of people who have called and no one has picked up, and I know of people who called and instead an ambulance was sent to their house or the cops were sent to their house, and, like, you know, the problem is, like, I just said this off-pod, but I'm going to say it on-pod, is that, like, I, in the same week that I saw that Kate Spade killed herself and um, Anthony Bourdain committed suicide, Kansas Stock, or the Wichita Eagle um, posted an article that suicide in Kansas has risen almost 50% in the last 20 years. And then later, I saw that suicide in the United States has risen almost 30% in the last, like, 20 years. And, um, like, I think the root of, like, this sort of stuff is people keep, it's really hard to get help. Like, to get help, when you're depressed, especially if you're a depressed person with suicidal ideation, that's, it's not, it's not just like picking up the phone and calling someone. There's like a fundamental lack of 
accessible access to or accessible access mm. Mm. a fundamental lack of access to like affordable mental health care in the united states that often bankrupts you or it's too difficult to do it like if you are like you know having circling thoughts and in a really dark place like i'll even speak about myself like um i'm trying to get back into therapy but every time i try to like reach out to do it again i'm fortunate enough that i have health insurance Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of my close friends don't have health insurance but i do but to find a therapist where it's covered by healthcare, i need to like go through a list of therapists in kansas who are close enough to me that will take my insurance and the thought of doing that is exhausting to me most days and so you know on some days where it is exhausting and then i have to call and i have a fear of um, making appointments by myself which i know a lot of it like that's like a joke but i really uh i really hate going places like calling places by myself i get scared but like you know just like telling someone about the suicide hotline not to kill themselves or making sure that you're checking in on your friends which is super important to check in on your friends but it's like clearly like suicide is on the rise because people don't want to live in the world anymore and like i think there needs to be like a fundamental change in american healthcare for that to happen like that's a big one think about like how many people like i just i know so many people who suffer from mental illness in my life more than i know who don't suffer from mental illness honestly and several of those people are unmedicated or um aren't in therapy for reasons not necessarily like of their own faults like you can't fault someone for being suicidal and not being able to afford therapy but in the all the way back around it's like we said this earlier but i think you know, Anthony Bourdain's death affected me so much because I considered him to be, uh, you know, like, and Kate Spade, both of them achieved, like, wealth and power, huge brands, like, where I consider, like, you know, like, ultimate success. You have a family, you have money, you have houses, you travel, you've seen the world, like, you've done X, X, and X, and, like, a lot of times in my head, I'm like, well, maybe if I finally have like a well-paying job and if I finally can afford a house or that I like won't you know constantly have dark thoughts but it's like that just proves that sometimes it feels immeasurable that the rest of my life is going to be a fight to not want to die like and you know it's so sad that those people like you know they lost that fight I think that's like the hardest part is trying to reconcile knowing that because sometimes thinking that like my life will be a constant fight against depression it's like makes me feel really strong knowing that like hell yeah i keep doing it but other times it feels like you know insanely overwhelming where i'm like holy fuck like why can't my brain just work (laughs) yeah and so i heard this quote this week that made me really think i hated it when i heard it because i was like i can't believe that this is the case but it's that same sort of realistic desperation where you go but it's also hopeful where you go okay i have this i have to fight it for the rest of my life but i'm gonna do it and the quote was um, that when we fall into cycles of addiction or whatever sort of deviant behavior, whatever sort of neuroticism it is, whatever, like, you know, a lot of the time it's because we look at the world and it's so cruel and it's so difficult and it's so dark that we just say, okay, I'm out. Like, I'm out. I'm sorry. Like, this is too much. And I know that, you know, there are real biological chemical imbalances that that contribute to that and all that stuff um but but the quote ended on something like um our mission is to get up in the morning and to look at how horrible the world is but to go okay i'm not going to just exit the game i'm going to do whatever little piece of good that i can do today and Mm -hmm. if it's to you know clean up my clothes off the floor if it's to do one good thing for someone to to bring in a little bit of goodness to where everything is so messed up, um, then then that's what I'm gonna do. And that I, when I first heard it, I was like, bloody hell! Like seriously, like it never gets. It wasn't some sort of hopeful, like you know, this is fine. It's just a phase. You're gonna get over it, which is what we often hear. It's just the the whole like um, axiom, right, about suicide is a, yeah. a permanent solution to a temporary problem, yeah. right? And, but it's not a temporary problem though. Thank it's you. Like, it's forever. Yeah. Know? And that's just that when you first hear that, you're like, I just want to be out. Like, I just, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. It's too much. But then when, you know, the brave thing to do in that situation, and I want to say brave because I, I know that it's charged. I know that 
mental illness is real. I know that depression is real. I know that sometimes you just, it's, there is nothing physically that you can do to, to fight it. And, and I know that. But when you do have the strength, when you do have a little bit of strength, the brave thing to do with that strength is to get up and go, no, I'm not going to quit. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to quit the game. I'm not going to say peace out. I'm done. I'm going to bring as much goodness and positive aspects into the world as I possibly can, even if that if it's just cooking a meal, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is, just a little bit more. And um, that was so that was both infuriating and extremely encouraging, I think. Yeah. When you said that quote, the first thing I thought of was um, my friend Bert. I think one of her like coping mechanisms is like she wherever we are like when we were in LA and I went to Dallas with her too in San Diego like we've been we've traveled a bunch together something she does is she picks up at least one piece of trash every single day like one that like quote Mm -hmm. unquote speaks to her and she's like it just like it makes me feel good inside and it like brings some positive aspect into the world and at first I was like that's really small menial but like at the same time it yeah like sprinkles a bit of um well-meaning goodness into the world um and in terms of coping coping mechanisms, I think like this podcast in itself is a coping mechanism. I think not only oh, yeah. for us three because we just like we get together and we get to talk about the inner workings of our minds, but hopefully, and from what I've heard from our listeners, it's also like a coping mechanism for them as well, because it's kind of like you get to see inside of our minds. And like we said, when we like the reason why we read so much is because we find parallels with either the subject that we're reading about or the character or the subject matter. And I feel like people can find that, like, hopefully within our podcast, in a sense. Um, well, it's that relatability. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, people, you know, we, I know, I, maybe not you guys, but, like, especially me, it's, are, are, are a lot that, like, making fun of things that are relatable is easy to make fun of, or people who make content only for it to be, like, relatable. But, like, this sort of, like, um, it, authenticity about m- myself and about you guys is, like, a lot of the times what I look for in other people that I follow mm-hmm. online, it, like, makes me feel maybe not closer to them. I can't think of, like, a better word for that. But, like, more open about myself. Like, I said this, like, probably in, like, our first episode. Um, the person who it's about is actually Michaela Oakland. You guys have probably seen her tweets. She's super fucking funny. Um, she's super beautiful, and she lives in Arizona. And um, she's hilarious, like, has banger viral tweets all the time. And, um, we actually, I'm trying, I'm like really trying to foster a friendship with her because we became mutuals a couple weeks ago and I'm like, bro, I want to be your friend. (laughs) But she like one day, like out of the, she, her life looks beautiful and shiny and hilarious. And like one day out of the blue, she posted that like, you know, just over a year ago that she was failing all of her classes, couldn't get out of bed, you know, was in like really intense therapy and, um, thought about suicide a lot. Um, or maybe not, maybe not in those words, but definitely was in a super, super dark, super scary place. And, um, I never expected that from her and like more people like talking about what happens to them, um, offline and like all more talking about what happens to them behind closed doors, like makes me want to feel like I can be more open about Mm -hmm. it because like, you know, going on a podcast and being like, yeah, I'm super depressed and lots the news makes me want to fucking kill myself sometimes. Like, I think, like, people people want to know that. Like, people want to know that they're not alone. <laughs> like, Yeah, and social media is, like, an isolating experience a lot of times because you see um, just, like, a lens of what people want you to see. They want, you know, you want people to see that best version of yourself, but in reality, like, that's not what's truly going on. Um, and, like... I, th- I think at the peak of okay so for example we've talked about like pretty somewhat healthy coping mechanisms for like a majority of this podcast one of the unhealthy coping mechanisms getting the shitty ones now yeah let's get into the shitty ones um one of the unhealthy ones that i used to have and still have and that we're all guilty of is like i at the peak of like my eating disorder probably like sophomore year of college i followed all these like instagram models who are like mm-hmm. beautiful and gorgeous and skinny and at the same time my entire feed was those small beautiful models juxtaposed by those tasty videos because i like i would always restrict myself from eating that kind of food mm. and so i wow it was like i it was like a weird thing i like i think i wanted to inflict some sort of like mental pain onto myself or something but it was a coping mechanism for me somehow like a punishment kind of i guess like to see those skinny models and see that food and like in my head i'm like i know i can't have both of those at the same time and yeah. so for some reason i like to see those things juxtaposed to one another and it was just like 
weird. And I tried, I talked to like my friend Daisy about it and like, she's like, you have to unfollow all those people. Like that's so unhealthy for you. And I'm like, um, it's fine. Like I'm fine. And, but she was totally right. So I just started unfollowing the, all those food accounts, first of all, and like all those Instagram models. Cause it just was not good for my mental health. And like, I just got sucked into it. Mm-hmm. It was horrible, horrible. And that's uh, like, that's very, very specific, but also like as a generation, the amount of stuff we're exposed to as far as people who appear to be successful and Especially people who are under 30 who appear to have their entire lives together and are beautiful. Which, you know, I'm sure that there have always been successful, beautiful people around, but it has never been so much in our face. And Mm -hmm. it is no wonder that we are so overwhelmed by how hard life actually is because it looks so easy Mm -hmm. for these other people. Mm -hmm. And it works out so well for them and Mm -hmm. it's no wonder that you know there are these uh, general sort of criticisms about our generation millennials this millennials that um but at the end of the day we're like this because we're promised it Mm -hmm. you know we were promised by what we saw by what we were fed by marketing and also by social media and all that stuff and then when we can't have it are you going to really be mad at us that we get depressed and anxious you know right and i feel like there's also a greater sense now I don't know if it's just um like a misconstrued view that I have of our generation but I feel like past generations like it was like the American dream to just like have a good life like get a good stable job like live in a similar neighborhood to where you grew up in like get married settle down blah blah but now I feel like with our generation and I don't know if it's because of the influx of social media there's like an increased pressure to succeed in extraordinary ways like yeah become like start this new company like go to africa and build a school or like start like a new genre of music or something like that you know like there's just this insane pressure to be original extraordinary and live these extraordinary lives where you're like traveling and you know doing all these things almost like anthony bourdain did and like that is not the solution for things but it feels for me personally like i just feel this pressure constantly to like how can how am i going to be able to fulfill that like I don't know if I'm ever going to live up to that, blah, 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 blah. And so I feel like that just creates a lot of um, anxiety for me and, like, other people that I know. Yeah. So something that's interesting to me is, like, do you remember an instance where you felt, it doesn't have to be the first or anything, but do you remember an instance where you felt, like, life was just too overwhelming based on those things, like, that it's just too difficult. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I would probably say that like, my most commonly like used word to describe how I feel when I feel really bad is um, completely overwhelmed to the point where I feel crushed. And like, yeah, I have like, I would probably say that this early, late winter and like early spring was when I felt the absolute like most overwhelmed and like, overwhelmed by like um now I'm gonna graduate college and I don't have anything lined up like what if I'm just a piece of shit unemployed person like for the rest of my life I have all this debt uh I put my parents into even more debt and I don't have anything to show for it um I feel like overwhelmed is that would be like my number one over encompassing term yeah but I like when you just previously you were talking about you're really bad I'm like I'm doing it right now as we're talking is that like I'm I'm gonna say this as as a preface I don't think it's good to self-diagnose yourself um, but I will say, I'm pretty positive I have undiagnosed dermatillomania, which is the uh, compulsive desire to pick at your skin. And um, the problem is that uh, I can pick when I'm not paying attention, pick when I'm happy, like just doing stuff, but I also uh, pick when I'm sad and when I'm stressed. And especially when I feel overwhelmed, that number one feeling is like, I know I'll probably feel better if I uh, just sit for like two hours and run my hands over my arms until it's uh, smooth again. And like, that is extremely And do you think unhealthy. that's more the control thing that we've talked about before? Um, Where there's an aspect of the world that you can control? It's like, you know, like, I like to think that I have control over my own appearance, but like... Um, I, you know, really do need to see someone to professionally diagnose me as this, but I do have some friends who have trichotillomania and dermatillomania. I don't have trichotillomania, um, but, like, I've always had bumpy arms, like, um, you know, like, ketosis pilaris, whatever the heck it's called, when you have those little tiny bumps of, like, keratin in your skin, 
um, you can squeeze them like a zit almost and stuff will come out, but it scabs over and then I pick at the scab and pick at the scab and pick at the scab and pick at the scab until it's a scar tissue and then I pick at the scar tissue until you can't pick it out anymore because it's like a permanent scar. And like that, you know, like of that where I'm like doing it by stress, I have to like take a moment and sit back. You know, when I feel even the worst overwhelmed, I catch myself, will dig my fingernails into my hands until it bleeds. And I'm like, okay, like you need to take a step back and put something in your hands so that you're doing something else with your hands. Take a walk, take a walk, take a walk, take a walk, take a walk. Don't bring your phone, bring something that sits in your hands. And like, that's my good coping mechanism to be like, you're falling into something really bad. Stand up right now and leave the house this fucking second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good feeling of awareness too. I think that's like the root of like knowing you need to do something to cope in a way is like being self-aware enough not yeah. to the point of being self-conscious which is like what I find myself falling into but being self-aware enough to know that you need to like change something about the thing that you're doing at that moment mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like this is something that's more intangible I guess but I thought about as soon as you said coping mechanisms this is what I thought about on my way here something I used to do and something I still do is when I get overwhelmed um like especially with like romantic relationships like if I'm talking to a guy something I do is like I try to subconsciously push that guy away like I'm like oh isolate yourself not necessarily isolate myself but like say things to them to like make them think that they don't like me that much if that makes sense and I think that's Mm -hmm. a coping mechanism to save me from maybe a future failed relationship Mm -hmm. if that makes sense or like a coping mechanism for the amount of vulnerability you put into somebody romantically you know just like making them think they don't like you as much or saying things to you or saying things to them to kind of, like, make them feel more distant or, like, you're maybe not as worthy of their affections as they might think you are. And I know that sounds really weird, but, like, that's something that I have caught myself doing all the time. And I don't know if it's because I actually want to push that person away or because I want to know that somebody will go the extra mile and, like, not fight for me, but, like... Yeah, yeah. Like make it known that it's like a test but maybe you didn't even want to administer that test yeah and then you figure out later you're like well here i am doing it again yeah and it's shitty to the other person and it's shitty to myself um but that's like one of the first things i thought of when you were talking about coping mechanisms it was just like i realized that was a coping mechanism that i was using yeah yeah that was unfair to everybody else so let's talk about this let's go around and what is one coping mechanism that you feel really guilty about and that you wish you didn't use um and then what is one that you actually think is a positive way to cope with life? You can start us off. <laughs> oh, me? <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. This is interesting. There are many coping mechanisms that I think are in a gray area mm-hmm. that aren't great, but they're not terrible. Um, I think um, for me, a bad coping mechanism for sure is isolation. Um, when I get overwhelmed either if it's with my head or if it's with the world I just do not answer calls I don't text I don't see anyone Um, I just want to be by myself all by myself all the time and probably watch television or if I'm in a better mood I'll you know read a book Um, but it's that tendency to literally not be able to be around other people Mm -hmm. and I think that that for me is something that I really wish I could get rid of primarily because it's intensely selfish it's so self-centered when you isolate yourself from people because you I'm not going to say love yourself too much but it's just you you're just you just can't handle people you know well, what I mean? it's like almost like we talked about like in the last episode where like you are sudden your self-esteem is like so low and you're self self-conscious that you don't want anyone to see you at all because you think other people are paying exactly. attention and they're actually exactly. not paying attention exactly and that and because you don't have the strength or energy to perform as a good person mm-hmm. or not not good in the moral sense but just like professional talkative functioning 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 yeah um and so the only thing that you can do is just be by yourself and not talk to anyone. Um, so that's something that I really wish I could get rid of and I'm trying to get rid of. Um, a good coping mechanism uh, that I've found is actually positive. But well, one of them is actually 
you know, we, we all study journalism, so we all are constantly tuned in what's happening in the world. I think a good coping mechanism I found is actually weirdly listening to science podcasts, mm. um, which it's not history, so it doesn't deal with people. It's not drama. It's not what's going on in the world right now. It's not about, this sounds bad, but it's not about how awful it is that poverty is so like ubiquitous. It's just, it's just literally about how they found this like wave thing on the spectrum that they were looking for since Einstein. And it's like all this really um, hard science stuff that you're learning so you don't feel bad about it. Um, but also it just, it takes, there's something to be said about taking your head out of humans. like. Yeah, just for sure. We are so entitled as a species. It's oh, like yeah. we we think we're the kings and queens of the universe, and there's just so much more out there. And I think that really helps to just get your head out of whether it's sociology or psychology and all this stuff that fascinates us, philosophy, history, all this stuff. Which is that's why we do journalism is because we love that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but to take your head out of it and go, okay, just hard facts about the universe. Like, what is that? Um, and, and go into that. That's that's really good. And I think another one that I actually wanted to talk to you guys about a little bit too is um, whether you've ever had made use of meditation and mm -hmm. um, religion and religious experiences as a coping mechanism. But we can go into that later. I want to hear you yeah, let's, guys's. Um, let's talk about that right after we go around. Because yeah, yeah, I have yeah. stuff to say mm -hmm. about that. Because yeah. I'm interested. I want to talk exactly. about that Exactly. So let's talk about that stuff. later. Um... I would say probably what I already, for my worst coping mechanisms, I would probably say is that fingernail thing, um, which is why they're a little bit uh, long right now. I try to keep my fingernails quite short because the shorter they are, the harder it is to pick up my arms. And when I have fingernails like this and I press, that, that fingernail thing grew out of something in high school where I was doing a lot of crying in my worst, my worst times in high school. And if I press my fingers into my hand, um, I won't cry because you're instead of I'm said I get focused on what hurts in my hand and that one I'm trying super hard to break and I'm, I'm doing it way 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 less than I ever did in high school but I think I would say like my best positive one that is something relatively new with me like this year is making my bed I love making my bed like and um, I'll even say say yesterday I like um, woke up and did some shit like in the morning and or, until like 1 p.m. and then at 1 p.m. I um, went home, took a nap. I hate napping during the day because it fucks me up for the rest of the day. Um, and I took a long nap and it made me feel bad afterwards, obviously. And then I laid in bed for probably nine hours watching TV. And then my roommate came home from work and I was in the exact same place as I was yesterday with gross clothes all over the floor and like dirty lawn like dirty sheets and stuff and I just like jumped out of bed and I was like fuck I feel terrible and I made my bed and I instantly feel better I'm like I knew it yeah. I knew that making my bed made me feel better because I've actually started being the type of person that makes their bed um almost every day that's a huge thing yeah huge thank you <laughs> Honestly. um a big it's like a big thing that I never ever 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 used to do and I've started um trying to sleep in a made bed every night so if I don't make my bed in the morning I'll make it when I come home and sleep in it made and um, that actually, like, seeing a made bed, like, automatically makes me feel, like, a 70% calmer than I did instantly five minutes ago beforehand. But, yeah. That's awesome. I, I don't make my bed every day. I should. Me neither. Like, fuck making your bed if it doesn't make you feel better, honestly, though, so. But I love seeing a made bed, too. I'm like, damn. But I mean, you know, it makes you feel accomplished. Yeah, you're like, it is something. Um... When you said the gray area of coping mechanisms, like, I feel like that's, like, a lot of what I have. Like, like exercise? Yeah. Like, yeah. I what? love... Well, exercise is good. But if, like... No, if not you, if you have eating disorders. If you, like, go overboard with it, like, I used to love... Before, like, I hurt my back, like, running. Like, ran a half marathon. Like, there's nothing like the feeling of, like... I think I'm just so far to the other side that I'm, like, yeah. worshipping <laughs> you. <laughs> but, like, there's just, like, nothing like the feeling of your, just, your feet just... The rhythm of your feet hitting the pavement and like listening to music and like the fact that you can just like push yourself when you think you're tired at like four and a half miles and like just run until you hit five you know that was something that I would do when I was stressed out or angry um, but it's in that gray area because if you do it too much then you're indulging the other aspect of your personality that you don't want to indulge right. or your mental illness um, but now I, I'm like at the point where it's like healthy like I work out a normal amount and I do it to feel healthy and like get stronger 
Um, and so that's in like the gray area and then the whole um, aspect of, and I didn't realize this was a coping mechanism until you were just talking about it. I recently got into like going on walks and listening to podcasts. TED mm-hmm. Talk Radio Hour is my jam. Yeah. So good. Um, and I'll just go on a walk and listen to the podcast and it's just like, just like soothing and my brain is like whoa just like overwhelmed in a good sense of like all mm-hmm. these cool facts that i'm learning which i just freaking adore um but yeah i used to like i've mentioned before live with 13 other girls and i think something i used to do was like go be with them as much as i could possibly be with them so that i could be like distracted by other people all the time so i would yeah. have to just like sit and be by myself and be with my own thoughts um because I found that my mind wanders to places sometimes that it, I don't want it to wander. Um, but at the same time, the other aspect of that is like writing is a big coping mechanism for me. But I find myself almost trying to make myself more sad and like feel, make myself feel more pain because that's such a muse for me in my writing. Yeah. Before I actually write about my feelings that it's like becomes unhealthy. So that's again like in the gray area. Um, but yeah, that's we can switch over to, to talking about meditation and religion now because um like meditation I when I first started doing it I was horrible at it because I'm like I'm not doing this right like my mind keeps going to all these places um and I used Headspace as a app and like I it is it's practice and it's not even the fact that you're trying to silence your mind it's just becoming aware of your thoughts and being okay with the fact that they're in there and I just mm-hmm. like I did it for a month straight I've been horrible at it I like haven't done it for a month now um but I got up to, like, meditating for, like, 15 minutes, 20 minutes without, like, necessarily feeling like I needed to, like, get up and do something, which was awesome. Yeah, um, it was great. In terms of religion, though, I, that's something I'm struggling with right now because it's our holy month of Ramadan. Yeah. And, like, you're not supposed to do certain things. You're not supposed to eat, drink, um, sun up to sundown. You're not supposed to have sex. You're not supposed to um, drink alcohol. You're not supposed to, like, be revealing with your clothing. You're supposed to be a good person. You're supposed to donate to charity. And so I'm feeling a lot of guilt this month more than I should be, which is interesting because usually this is the one month out of the year that I feel like in tune with my religion. And so I'm trying to, this has been like a really transformative month for me, um, trying to figure out how I want religion to play a role in my life and if I want it to play a role at all. Because with right. me, I've just found religion to be more of a guilt-inducing thing. So on that thing. subject, um this is something I've often thought about. It's very closely connected to coping mechanisms because religion has been in a huge part of my life. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of what religion calls you to do is self-sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. It's asceticism. It's fasting. It's abstaining. Mm-hmm. It's doing things that inconvenience you. Mm-hmm. And the subject of coping mechanisms is the exact opposite. It's doing things that salve you, that calm you, yeah. that that um, that indulge you in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like they, they they because you're in pain and you indulge in something and then it makes you better, you know. Right. And that's the opposite of self-sacrifice and asceticism, right? And it's interesting to me because a lot of the reason that I feel guilty about the coping mechanisms that are in the gray like Watching hours of television is not necessarily bad. Like, it's not like I'm taking meth, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's just... it's, But it's also a way to run away from myself where a lot of what religious teaching calls you to do is to face yourself and to sacrifice, like, things that make you even happy sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, so that's all really fascinating to me because... Um, for a really long time, I took that very, very seriously. I think a lot like you, and I don't know if you've had any much experience with this, but um, where, you know, I would do media fasts for ages and I would do all of these things that were very self, um, even self-flagellating sometimes, just self-punishing sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so that's an interesting discussion to me because I do believe that there are healthy coping mechanisms that we should do and that we should that, that we need to survive but also I do think that there is a place and this may be even separate from religion um, there is a place where you take something that you really really want to do and that will make you feel better and you just don't do it mm-hmm. and that in the long run that's going to be better for you and um, so I don't know how do you think that factors into like Ramadan and all this stuff 
like it so i guess what i'm asking is apart from you know asserting point blank i believe in this this and this apart from that the general teaching of let's say islam and even christianity and all that is you know there's this message of self-sacrifice mm -hmm. so do you think that that in itself is something valuable is it is something that we should take to heart or do you think it's just sort of like guilt tripping i don't know if i've mentioned this on the pod before but um our friend daisy was talking to us well talking to me um about religion we talk about religion a lot because she studies a lot of theology and she was talking about this theory that she has is humans are one of the only species that we know of technically that like have the ability and capacity to feel like immense amounts of pleasure and because of that we don't know how to cope with it and so like a lot of times we use religion as a coping mechanism to subdue those feelings of pleasure that we have because like think like all the things that you're not supposed to do technically in religion can induce pleasure sometimes it can be like a bad addicting type of pleasure but she was talking to me about the aspect of religion being a coping mechanism yeah to understand those feelings of pleasure and to make you have those um like ha not habits but um like instances of self-sacrifice to like mm -hmm. counteract those feelings of pleasure and that, that was something very interesting to me because um i feel like that's been a lot of growing up in a religious setting and my parents aren't all that religious in a sense but like it like the things that i've wanted to do with my life have often been gone against the teachings and practices of like certain rules of religion if that makes sense and so i think that's where it's um come to a point of like butting heads but for me like religion has been more of a stressful thing than a peaceful thing yeah. and that's partially just from growing up muslim in the united states um, and growing up in a neighborhood that's like so predominantly white um, and Christian so it's been just like stressful for me in that sense but I've always almost envied my friends that found peace and solace in religion because like you kind of have that to fall back on reality for you I, when I was little I think it was because I mean I was like 12 and I like didn't care about like what I wore and like wasn't yeah. interested in boys and you know all these things and I did it wasn't like a reality for me like I didn't have to shape my own life yeah and think about it in that way but I've been jealous of my friends that so are peaceful I think like hearing you talk like everybody goes through this we've talked about this before you're going through a period of deconstruction that right. everything you thought was true mm -hmm. ends up being maybe different um and I think that I've I've got a few years on you so I've been through a lot of that too and so I guess I'm coming back around to going okay is that is there anything here that is actually good like mm -hmm. not and that's what i'm i'm trying to steer away from like the fundamentalist interpretation of anything and just going are there principles here for how to live life that are actually good mm -hmm. that i can take from it you know mm -hmm. um and so to so to go back to like the coping mechanisms thing and um one of the things that's really interesting is that when religious when religion was a much bigger part of my life like prayer was a huge part of it but mm -hmm. now coming back around I'm like starting to go okay when I'm depressed and anxious like saying a prayer over and over again in the sense of meditation and centering and all of that is actually really helpful mm -hmm. and the the concept of self self-sacrifice when it comes to like overindulging and addictions and that kind of thing is actually super helpful too because mm -hmm. you're going it's delayed gratification i'm giving something up that i really want right now mm -hmm. so that i can have it in the future and you're right the the dogma dogma of religion makes that all so much easier mm -hmm. um but even so without that like just taking the principles from it and um like applying those things and so when we talk about coping mechanisms um i think the underlying current for me in all of that is the question of whether we should have any at all or whether we sh should sort of sacrifice all of that and sort of just face life point blank and of course there's no extreme answer to that like mm -hmm. it's just you're always going to be in the gray you're always going to be trying to stay balanced trying to stay on the fence and not fall on either side mm -hmm. um but anyway that's just interesting to me and i wanted to hear if you guys had any thoughts about that yeah um, I was raised Catholic, but never confirmed, and then my family drifted from religion and uh, are not religious at all. Both of my brothers are atheist. I think my mom is probably 
I don't really, I don't really know. I've never had a frank discussion with her, but she was never raised with religion, so I don't think she's religious at all. Um, but my dad was raised really Catholic, and um, my dad is what he calls himself like a lapsed Catholic because he doesn't agree with the rules of the Catholic Church, but still believes in God, heaven, hell, Jesus, all this other stuff. Um, and I like felt religious, and then after I got pissed off the Catholic Church for being um, a piece of ass, <laughs> I like really a piece of ass is, is that like in a good way? I hate the Catholic Church and everything that no, it stands for. No, no, but for. I mean, like, you were, you were, like, way too oh. for the Catholic Church. Yeah, this sweet piece of ass can't be Catholic anymore. <laughs> um, but I was, like, oh, I'm an atheist. And then later, like, uh, I was, like, in high school and stuff when I thought I was edgy. Um, but when I, my worst, my worst ever depression when I was, like, 16, um, when I was climbing out of it, I had someone mention to me how at the time I when she had said it to me I was initially a bit offended um but then later I you know I'll try it out she mentioned that I should try a prayer journal or to try praying and um I did for a while because I desperately wanted to feel like someone was listening to me but I've never felt I've never felt like praying I've never felt someone listen to me I've never felt that connection before um and sometimes I wish that I was more religious because I'm envious of what I view to appear to be such a community aspect really and like a safe and welcoming community mm-hmm. so it's interesting to see you guys say that's you know not necessarily the case all the time and um I, I was actually just talking about this um with Scott the other day we were talking briefly we spoke about religion but um like c- the community part is I think what I often am, am jealous of or feel like I am jealous of like I want to be a part of it um because I'm I feel pretty confident in like where I stand with religion and that I believe in uh, something with capital S with a place like heaven and a place like hell with probably no real God. Um, and I have like totally come to peace with that. But what do you mean capital S? Um, I think there's like, I think there's like some, I think there's something out there. I like believe in ghosts and souls and like stuff like that. So, 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 okay. So exactly. This is another thing that I wanted to hit. Like does believing in something transcendent help? Sometimes. Yeah. Like, Cause like that's part of it. It's like sometimes I think like that I get envious of um, other religions, especially religions with like aspects of um, reincarnation or um, mm-hmm. beautiful places that you go after death. Because I believe everyone goes somewhere after death. I just don't know where it is, where it is, what it is, or how um, it happens. And I like get envious of that because that is such a comforting thought to know that like. You're, you will be rewarded in an extra life for your immortal life. Um, but that's, like, really all I, all I stand for in religion because some sometimes, like, when I'm, you know, feeling really shitty, I, I will know in my head that, you know, if I die, I'll go somewhere where I'll get to meet everyone that um, I ever loved or loved me because mm-hmm. that's in my brain. That's what happens. Um, but I think really the only thing like about religion and coping mechanisms is that I would get jealous about the community aspect which is clearly multifaceted with several layers of good and bad mm-hmm. that's I my dad for sure uses religion as a coping mechanism because I think he's so afraid of death that he like yeah. oh he yeah. like falls back on the concept of like God and heaven uh, being a place that like he has the ability to go to it's, a, it's like his way of cheating death you know and yeah, I'm, like, and, envious of people who, like, firmly yeah, believe that. and a part of that is because, man, life is really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a romantic way to think that, like, life may have fucking kicked you around, but if you're a good person, something good will happen to you. Like, eventually. you ever get, like, or you ever feel like you, like, I know we've talked about this, you get, like, you just are in a string of, like, fucking sh- shitty stuff is happening to you, like, even, like, little yeah. things, like, um, I didn't get a job, but then I accidentally dropped my sandwich and I broke the plate or like yeah. I did my laundry, did my laundry and my dryer ate my brand new Urban Outfitter shirt. So Ooh. really I'm about oh, to fight sucks. God for doing that to me. <laughs> no, that one hurts. Yeah, that for sure. Um, I think that it really is comforting to believe that there's something transcendent about life, mm-hmm. um, that, that it isn't just all of this horribleness, um, 